The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Woo! All right, Coastal, have a seat. Make your way back to your seat and have a seat. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Man, I am pumped up. I'm so glad that you're here with us today, either live in person or watching online. I'm Pastor Chris. I am pumped up because today, as Pastor Scott said, we are starting a brand new series called Daring Faith. Daring faith, the key to miracles. And we've been leading up to this series now for a while. As Scott said, groups are starting this week. A lot of excitement going on with this series. This is going to be an exciting adventure that we're all going to take together. But, everybody listen up. I do want to make a full disclosure. A full disclosure, okay? For the next eight weeks, I'm going to challenge your faith. I'm going to stretch your faith. I'm going to poke it, I'm going to prod it, and uh, many times during this series, to be honest with you, you're not going to be real comfortable, because you do not grow in comfort. Those of you who work out in a gym, you know, you do not work, you do not grow in comfort. Growth is often uncomfortable, but the result of, the result of growth is what? It's, it's blessing, it's strength, it's maturity, it's answered prayer, and miracles. And I believe that that's what you want to experience. And we're going to experience that together here in the next eight weeks in this series. Now, the Bible says this in Romans 1.17. Listen to this. The good news, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish, by what? By faith, by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Okay? Now look at this next verse, Hebrews eleven six. This is kind of the, the theme verse for this entire series. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Did you know that? Isn't that cool? That God wants to reward you for earnestly seeking him. For seeking him. Now, think about this for a second. Keep those two verses in mind. If the Bible is saying that the way that we're made right with God, the way that we are connected with him is by faith, and then without faith, it's actually impossible to please God, then what we're going to be doing and talking about for the next eight weeks is pretty important. This is a big deal. Now, what in the world then is faith? Well, again, we're going to spend some time talking about that, both today and in the weeks ahead. Because faith, it's kind of like a diamond, okay, in the sense that it is multifaceted. And the, the angle, the facet that I want us to talk about today is this. Faith is seeing from God's point of view. It's seeing from God's point of view. It's having God's perspective. In fact, look at verse 1 of Hebrews 11. It says this. What is faith? It is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things we cannot yet see. Circle that phrase there, okay? We cannot yet see. In other words, faith has something to do with, with our vision. It's learning to see things from God's perspective. 
Again, from God's point of view. Now, the Bible has got all kinds of examples of what you might call seeing with, with spiritual eyes, seeing things in life from, from God's perspective. In fact, in 2 Kings 6, there's this really awesome story about Elisha uh, and his servant. And at this time, um, an entire enemy nation was coming after Elisha, and they wanted to capture him. So Elisha's servant wakes up early one morning to, to the discovery that they have, in the middle of the night, they have been surrounded by this uh, entire enemy uh, nation, this enemy army. And so, of course, the, uh, you know, the servant is freaking out. He's scared. And then in uh, 2 Kings 6, 16 and 17, uh, it says this, Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than theirs, than on theirs. Now the servant's got to be thinking, you are a moron, Elisha. There are two of us, okay? And, you know, there's an entire enemy nation out there, chariots, swords, you know, men. And then Elisha prayed this, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened his servant's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Wow. So like all of a sudden, his spiritual vision is opened up. And he can see an, an army of angels, and, and he's not afraid anymore. God opened his eyes. You know, there's a story in uh, Genesis 15 of Abraham where God takes Abraham outside. He says, Abraham, look up to the stars. Look up to the stars. These are going to be the number of people in your family tree. As many as you can count and more. Now, if you know the story, at this time, there's Abraham and Sarah, and that's it. They're old. They don't have any children. And yet God opened his eyes. And he has this moment of, of spiritual clarity. And then in Luke 24, one of my favorite uh, stories, uh, after the resurrection... After Jesus' resurrection, the Bible tells us that these two disciples, you know, they're, they're walking down the street and, and they're upset and they're discouraged and, because Jesus has just died on the cross. And uh, their hopes and their dreams, you know, have all been crushed. They're, they're in despair. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears and starts walking with them. And they don't recognize him. And he's walking and talking with them. And... Uh, they invite him over for dinner, and they still don't recognize who it is. And, and they sit down, and they have this meal together, and when he blessed the meal, Jesus, it says that God opened their eyes. And all of a sudden, they realize, man, this is Jesus. He has been resurrected, and he is in our midst. Now listen up. Listen really clear. Because here's what I believe. I believe that God wants to do that in your life. I believe that God is going to use this series to do that in your life. In other words, he wants to open your eyes. 
where you can see, you know what? Jesus, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, he is right here with me. And when I feel afraid, guess what? God opened my eyes because your angel army is surrounding me and protecting me. And when I can't see the future and I don't understand how big your plan is for me, God, open my eyes to see that your plan is bigger than anything I could ever dream, ask, or imagine. Your plan for my life. Here's what I want to do today. I want us to look at what happens when we choose to see with eyes of fear or what happens when we choose to see with eyes of faith because it's your choice. Because until you understand how important it is to see everything in life through the eyes of faith, you're not going to be looking for it. Now, a great example of eyes of fear or eyes of faith, this contrast in the Bible comes from Numbers chapters 13 and 14. So at this point, Moses has led the nation of Israel to freedom. Okay, you're familiar with that, right? Remember, they crossed the Red Sea. They've been traveling now uh, for about two years. They're moving kind of slow, okay, at a snail's pace. About a million people, though. And they're coming up to a place called Kadesh. And they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River and finally go into the Promised Land. Now, this is the land that has been promised to them for like 400 years. That one day, you know, that they would be their own people, that they would have their own country, and that they would be free from slavery. So they get up to the, the edge of the water. Before they move forward, Moses basically says, okay, guys, okay, Israel, before we go in, I'm going to send in a spy team, okay, a spy team. And I'm going to pick 12 guys to go in and kind of check out everything for us, kind of do the due diligence of everything. So these 12 spies are chosen by Moses, and they are sent in to go spy out and visit the land. Now, when they return, they basically give a very mixed report. Now, two of the spies, they basically say, wow, it is incredible. And they describe it, and they say, man, it is awesome. Moses, let's go take the land. It is ready for the taking. Let's go for it. And those two spies are named Joshua and Caleb. Now, the other ten spies, they come back, and they're like, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. It, it's, it's a great place, but... Now, how many of you know that when somebody says something and then they go, but, what they said at the beginning really doesn't matter, right? If you, you, you've had that experience with somebody, right? I, I enjoyed my date with you, but, you know, or I don't know, you, you've heard that, right? Okay, so basically, they have this long, long list of reasons why they can't go in, and they see with eyes of fear. Now, because they failed to see with eyes of faith, that entire generation missed out on God's purpose for their lives. And God said, okay, you failed the test. You don't trust me. You know, you can now wander around the wilderness for 40 years until you all die off. Coastal, listen to me for just a second. I don't want that to happen in your life. 
I do not want that to happen to this church. I don't want us or you to wander around in the wilderness of life for 40 years, for your lifetime, and then die simply because we chose, you chose possibly, to just see with eyes of fear and not to trust God. Now, what happens when you see with eyes of fear? Let's talk about that. Let me go over these really quickly. Let me give you four things that happen. And they're all found here in Numbers 13 and 14. Number one, we exaggerate our difficulties. We exaggerate the negative, the difficulty. Here, here's the crazy thing. Think about it. God has just recently delivered them from Egypt. Okay? The most powerful nation in the world. And yet now, they're worried about some local tribe. But you do that, don't you? When you look at your problems with eyes of fear, your problems get bigger. Now, in fact, here's the negative report from the ten spies from Scripture. It is indeed a magnificent country, but the people living there are powerful, and their cities and towns are fortified and very large. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. You know what's ironic, though? This is crazy. 38 years later, okay, when the next generation did go into the promised land, do you know what they've discovered? Do you know what the enemy said? They said, we have lived in panic for 40 years because we heard all about the plagues, the 10 plagues of Egypt. We heard what your God did against the most powerful leader in the world, and we were scared to death. We were ready to surrender. In other words, you know what they were saying? You needlessly walked around in the wilderness for 40 years because we were scared to death of you. But we do that. We exaggerate our difficulties when we see with eyes of fear. Number two, we underestimate our own abilities. We underestimate our own abilities. We exaggerate the problem. We underestimate our abilities. Numbers 33, 13. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Man, you talk about a low self-esteem. We're just a bunch of insects and bugs compared to those guys. They're giants. We can't do it. By the way, how in the world do they know how they look to the enemy? Guess what? They didn't. There's a word for this. It's called projection. You know, you, you, we tend to project our fears on everybody else around us. And that's exactly what they're doing here. They've been slaves for 400 years. They've been free for like two, but, but mentally, emotionally, they're still enslaved. Don't you see? They just, they saw themselves as helpless. They're, they're no longer enslaved by Pharaoh, but now they're enslaved to an idea. They're enslaved by an image, by a, a self-concept. Now, stop there for just a moment. You see, many years ago, people said things about you and to you that were not true, but you believed them. And you know what? Quite possibly, they're not even in your life anymore. In fact, some of those people are even dead. And you know what you're doing? You're still believing those lies. You're still enslaved to their image of you. 
Maybe you had somebody in your life, you know, growing up. Maybe you're like 11 years old, and they said, you're so uncoordinated. Well, of course you are. You were. You were 11. You're like a little deer being birthed, you know, and can't find its legs at that age. And yet, because they said it, you still believe it. And to this day, you think, I'm uncoordinated. You know, or even worse, you're never going to amount to anything. And so you think you're never going to amount to anything. You're not good at this, you're not good at that. They told you all those things, and you believed it. Listen, you need to hear this today. Maybe this is why God brought you here. You are not in Egypt anymore. That is a self-imposed prison. Stop seeing with eyes of fear. Instead, see with eyes of faith. We overestimate the problem, and we underestimate our own abilities. Number three, we then complain and criticize. We complain and criticize. Numbers 14, verse 2, then all the Israelites grumbled. I like that word, right? Grumbled. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. We wish we had died in Egypt, they wailed. Or even here in the wilderness. Wow. Let me say this. Highly critical people, complainers, whiners, typically they are highly insecure people, dominated by fear. In other words, when you find somebody who's critical of other people, it's typically because they are incredibly insecure. If I don't feel good about me, I don't want you feeling good about you. And so I'm going to criticize and I'm going to complain and I'm going to be against any success that you might have because I'm insecure. But we do that when we have eyes of fear. We exaggerate the difficulties, we underestimate our abilities, we complain and criticize, and then number four, we eventually give up and blame God. We give up and we blame God. Numbers 14, 13, notice what they said. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to be killed with swords? We'd be better off going back to Egypt. You know what they're doing? They're blaming God. They're blaming God. It's what Adam did in the garden. God, it was the woman you gave me, you know? And all of a sudden, you know what's crazy? It's as though they're remembering the good old days of Egypt. Good old days. 400 years of slavery. Why in the world would anybody want to go back to Egypt? It wasn't safety. It wasn't security. It it was slavery. But an awful lot of people do that today. Maybe you. You get stuck in what you think is safe, but it's slavery. Safe slavery. Maybe you're enslaved by a relationship. They're they're enslaved by fear, by a habit, by a compulsion, by an addiction. And yet, listen to this, I know you've seen this, and maybe, maybe it's you. And yet by your actions, you're saying, well, you know, I want to let go of this. I want to be free, but, you know, at least it's predictable. You know, it's kind of comfortable. It's what I know, and I know what's in Egypt. And I think some of you are doing that. Some of you are confusing slavery and safety. You know, I, sure, I, I, I know it's a bad situation, but at least it's predictable. I know this habit, I know this relationship is self-defeating, but it's what I know. 
It's who I am. It's what I do. Maybe God brought you here today to hear this. There is no real freedom without taking a step of faith, without a risk. You see, safety and freedom are typically not the same thing. God made us to be risk takers. God made you to to walk and to live by faith. He made that for our church. Listen, don't die in slavery. Don't die wandering in the desert. Now, let's contrast all of that with what the Bible actually says happens when we start to live our lives by seeing everything through faith. You know, learning to be a dreamer, learning, you know, to look at things not as they are or what we can see, but what they could be, okay? Number one, faith shrinks my problems. It shrinks my problems. You know, when when you see your problem from God's point of view, from God's perspective, all of a sudden, everything gets a whole lot more manageable. In other words, if you've got a big God, problems get smaller. But if you've got a small God, your problems typically get bigger. You see, when you come to God saying, God, you know what? You are a big God, and you can handle this. I'm going to give you this problem, and ultimately, you're going to work it out. Now, I'm going to cooperate. i got a part to play, but I'm trusting you. I'm seeing with eyes of faith. Man, when you do that, you know what happens? You can relax because God's got it. Faith shrinks your problem. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Luke 1.37, for nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that? Nothing is impossible with God. Faith shrinks my problems. Number two, faith opens the door for a miracle. It opens the door for a miracle. Now, if you read the Bible, if you study history, you you typically find that every time God moves, man, every time God does a miracle, it's because somebody believed. It's because somebody trusted God. And faith opens that door. Uh, Mark 11, 22 and 24, Jesus says something very interesting. Listen to this. And I think we misunderstand this. He said, have faith in God, okay? That's what he said, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Now, what in the world is he talking about here? Okay, let let me just say, one of the reasons I'm so excited about this Daring Faith series is that I believe we're going to see some miracles. Because every single time you stretch your faith, every time you believe God just a little bit more, God does miracles. And so my question for you today is this, what's the mountain in your life? What's the mountain that needs to be moved? You know, what's the mountain in your life that you've been saying, possibly, man, this is never going to happen. This can never change. That's that's self-defeating. That's a self-fulfilling prophecy. How, How do you know that? 
You know, maybe, maybe God wants to do a miracle in your life. And what I'm saying and what I believe Jesus is saying here is that our faith opens the door for miracles to happen, that God really is in the mountain-moving business in your life and in my life and in the life of this church. Look at this next verse. Look what Jesus said. Matthew 13, 58. And he did not do many miracles there. And he's talking about Jesus in the particular town. Why? Because of their lack of what? Faith. Did you hear that? Jesus is saying that because they didn't believe, because they lacked faith, he didn't do miracles there. And maybe you're here today saying, well, I don't see many miracles in my life. Well, what about it? Are you seeing through eyes of fear or through eyes of faith? Number three, faith moves God to act on my behalf. Faith moves God to act on my behalf. Now, let, let me explain. Let me, let me, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying, okay? Now, I do not believe, we do not teach or subscribe to you know, this health and wealth theology today where God ends up serving us, okay, rather than us serving God, where God is kind of like a genie, right? You know, you rub the lamp and you pray the prayer and you just get whatever you want. No, God's not a genie. We don't believe that. We don't teach that. But in Matthew 9, 29, Jesus did say this, and let's, let's talk about it. He said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. I think what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying is that in a way, you get to choose. In a way, you get to participate. In a way, you know, you get to open up God's power because God says, according to your faith, it will be done to you. In other words, if you don't expect God to do anything in your life, guess what? He's not going to do it. And so this is why I want to push you a little bit in this series. This is why we're going to challenge you a little bit. Because I want you to challenge yourself to believe God for more than you've ever believed him for in your life. I want you to dare to believe. See, I think the problem is we think the wrong things are going to move God. God's not moved by my complaining. God's never moved by my griping my grumbling, my whining, none of that moves God. And yet all throughout history, all throughout the Bible, God is moved when people say, God, I believe. I trust you. I will take that initial step of faith. I'm going to believe you for more. I'm going to expect you to keep your promises. You put your name on that promise, and you are faithful, and I know you'll do it. Which leads me to number four. It's as though faith unlocks the promises of God. It unlocks the promises of God. There are like over 7,000 promises in the Bible. In a way, they're kind of like blank checks waiting for us to claim. In other words, if you want to be a man of faith, a woman of faith, you've got to learn to become a person of the promises. You know, know the promises of God so that you can claim them in your life when you need them. Now, what does God have to say about all these promises that he makes? 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all what? Yes, yes, in Christ. Faith unlocks 
the promises of God. Now, let me explain that just for a little bit. Let's pretend that you uh, bought a coat from the West Ashley Goodwill store. Coat, jacket, pants, whatever. And uh, inside the pocket of, of, of that clothing, you find um, a letter promising a million dollars to anybody who finds the letter. Would you be interested in that? Sure. Man, you'd be pumped up. You'd be excited. But it wouldn't be of any use to you if you didn't know who wrote it, would it? It'd be worthless. I mean, you can only use it, you can only claim the promise if you know the name and the address of the person making the promise. And so the promises of the Bible only apply to those who know the author. But when you know him personally, you know the person who backs up all the promises of the Bible, and faith unlocks them. Number five, faith turns our God-given dreams into reality. Turns our God-given dreams into reality. You know, nothing happens until somebody starts dreaming. Nothing happens. I want to challenge you to dream with me. I want to challenge you in this series to dream about your relationships, your family. I want you to dream about your marriage, about your career. Together, uh, as a church, we're going to dream about the future of our church. You know, the Bible is full of people who had God-given dreams. Abraham dreamed of becoming the father of a great nation. Moses dreamed about setting his people free. Joseph was the dreamer, dreamed of saving the nation and his own family. And then there's Daniel and David and so many other inspiring dreamers all throughout the Bible. And yet, none of them had this verse, this promise that we have today in Ephesians 3.20. Listen to this. Now, glory be to God by his mighty power at work within us. He is able. He is able to accomplish accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare, there's that word, dare to ask or hope. Some translations say dare to imagine. He says God is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask. Let me ask you, what are you afraid to ask God for? God is able to do far more than you could ever even dream. Now I don't know about you, I'm a pretty big dreamer. I could think up some pretty big dreams. And so it's as though God says, Chris, you think of the greatest, biggest thing you could ever dream of, the greatest thing I could ever do in your life, and guess what? I can top it. I just think we limit God by our lack of faith. Rick Warren once said this, if there were ever going to be tears in heaven, and by the way, we, we know there's no crying, no tears in heaven, right? But listen to this. If there were ever going to be tears in heaven, it would simply be because we would get there and we would realize all the things we could have done if we would have just believed God a little bit more. Man, that'd be awful, wouldn't it? I mean, that, that'd be hell, not heaven. To be shown everything you know, that I could have ever accomplished and done and become and been. You know, I think about that for me personally. I, you know, as a husband, as a father, as a man, as a pastor, 
all that I could have ever been, all that I could have ever done good in the world if, if I just believed God a little bit more. So for the next, next eight weeks, I want to push you to believe God just a little bit more. More than you ever have before. Because God is able to do infinitely more than you could ever dream, dare to ask or imagine. And then finally, number six. Faith gives me the power to hold on in tough times. Gives me the power to hold on. Now why, why is that one important? Well, because faith doesn't always take you out of the problem, does it? You know that, right? Faith takes you through the problem. Faith doesn't take away the pain. Faith gives you the ability to handle the pain. Faith doesn't even always take you out of the storm or even calm the storm. Many times, faith just calms you in the storm. You know, study after study has shown that one of the most important characteristics that you can teach a child and one of the most important characteristics that we need in our own lives is this idea of, of resilience. You know, the idea to, uh, to bounce back, you know, to keep going in tough times. Why? Why is that? Well, because nobody ever has, you know, goes through life with a string of unbroken successes. I mean, uh, you know, that, that never happens. Everybody, everybody in this room, everybody watching, we all have failures, flops, mistakes, embarrassments. We, we have pain. We have problems. We have pressures. And, and the people who make it in life, though, are the people who bounce back, the people who keep going, who have resiliency. The Bible says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. We are pressed on every side by trouble, but we are not crushed and broken. We are perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again, and we keep going. Where do you get that? Where do you get that from? Not from a pop song. You know where you get it from? You get it from faith. You heard that in your head too. I did. I heard it in my head, right? Listen, now, why so why do we need to work on strengthening our faith? Probably more than anything else. And why are we going to spend, you know, the next eight weeks on it? Why are, we gonna, why are our life groups going to be talking about this? And you're going to be going through this in your devotions because it is faith that does all six of these things in our lives. It shrinks my problems. It opens the door for miracles. It moves God to act on my behalf. It unlocks the promises of God. It turns my dreams into reality. And it gives me the power to hold on in tough times. So, here's what I want you to do. Very simple. You ready? Here it is. I'm just going to ask you to fully to participate. That's it. Just fully be a part of this. Just be engaged. Be all in. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me give you some suggestions. Here it is. Let's just begin by making our time together on Sunday mornings a priority. You know, for the next eight weeks. I know people are going to be traveling out of town. You might get sick. But everybody's going to get up once, you know, in the next eight weeks, one of those days. You're going to have a, a rough day, tired. You're, you know, just kind of down. You know, whatever. You know what? My, my encouragement to you is, man, push through. I promise you, you'll be glad you came. Push, push through. Just make this a priority. Now, here's the next thing that I mean by fully participate. I want to challenge you to do this. I want you to join a life group. Man, I, one of the reasons we're so pumped up right now about today and this week is that life groups begin this week. 
And even if you haven't signed up yet, it's still time to sign up. There's a sign-up table right over there to my left, your right. You can sign up after the service. You literally can look at the catalog inside your bulletin today, and uh, you could you know, pick the group that you want and sign up on your Connect card. On the back of your Connect card, it says, uh, bu -bu -bu sign me up for the following Daring Faith uh, Fall Life Group. You can go to our website when you get home today. Uh, look there, and you can sign up online. And, and by the way, our life groups, I know we call them life groups, but they don't last for a life, okay? They literally are going to last for eight weeks, Man, you could do anything for eight weeks. And so in those groups, man, you're going to be with people all over Charleston, different locations, different times, different days. Pick one, one group, and together, that group, we're all going to be studying the same thing this semester. In fact, here is the, uh, the Daring Faith Study Guide. In fact, many of you might have already picked up one of these when you joined your group on Life Group Sunday. If you didn't get one yet, that's fine. You don't have to get it today if you're already in a group. Your life group leader will bring them to your group this week, and you can pick it up. If for some reason, because of your schedule or just whatever's happening in your life, you cannot, you absolutely cannot participate in a life group uh, this semester. You actually still can pick up the study guide on the back table this morning. In fact, somebody will be back there. You just need to sign your name that you picked up a group because we'd like to include you kind of a little in the email encouragement that's going to go out uh, this week. Because the other reason you need this, the other thing that we're asking our entire church to do and the way that I want you to fully participate in this series is I want you to participate in a 40-day fast with us. And uh, we really believe this is going to be a time of, of great spiritual growth in our church. And typically, we fast together leading up to Easter. Maybe that's your, you know, your kind of faith background, a, fa a Lent fast or a 40-day Easter fast, where we're doing a 40-day fast for daring faith. And that fast and the devotional, the daily devotional, uh, begin, not tomorrow, not Monday tomorrow, but next Monday, the 30th. That's the day that we begin our 40-day fast, and that's the day that the 40-day uh, daily devotional begins in this book. And we're all going to be doing this together. So on the back of your Connect card today, it says, sign, uh, da, 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 where is it at? There it is on the very top, uh, underneath my next step today in the back. I will participate in the 40-day Daring faith, faith Fast starting Monday, September the 30th. And if you sign up for that, you know, maybe you decide to give up uh, social media or television or eating out or caffeine or chocolate or, you know, whatever it is, you are denying yourself something physically so that you could focus your heart and your mind spiritually. And so what I'm saying, this is the power of focused alignment. That our entire church together, even our children and children's ministry, are going to be studying the same lessons that coincide with us. And it's the power of focus alignment. All of us together growing and stretching in faith. Now, let me close by saying this. You can't claim any of the promises of God until you know the one who made the promises personally. And his name is Jesus. And there might be somebody listening to this today who has not yet stepped across the line of faith, that initial faith, and given their life to Christ. You see, remember those verses we read at the very beginning? It starts and ends it, with a relationship, and that relationship begins with faith. Faith is the way we, we get to know God. 
You know, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, says it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him. That's faith. Will not perish, but have eternal life. The most important thing you could do today is to give your life to Jesus as we start this series. The most important thing you could do is dare to believe. Bow your heads and pray with me. Let's pray. In fact, as you bow your heads and close your eyes, I basically have two prayers today that I want us to pray. So, first of all, if you're in this room, if you're watching online, if if you are here and you already know Jesus, okay, you've established that relationship with him, he is the Lord of your life, I want you to pray this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, help me to see with eyes of fear. Uh, Excuse me, help me to see with eyes of faith, not fear. Help me to see with eyes of faith. Help me to see you clearly from your perspective. God, use this series and this season to challenge me and to stretch and grow my faith. Help me to see with eyes of faith. Now, if you have never, if you are here and you have never opened your life to Jesus, then your next step is to pray this simple prayer. Pray this with me. Dear Jesus, Yes, yes, as much as I know how, I open my life and I open my heart to you. I want to learn to love you and trust you and follow you. Today, I put my faith in you. Strengthen my faith. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.